This is the last Sunday that I will appear before you as the leader of our movement. I'm still continuing in Santa Rosa. And in case you don't hear what I'm going to say to the movement on Tuesday, I wanted to tell you in person. Three years ago, when I said, look, I want to run for this position, will you give me permission? Because you're going to have to run this place. You're going to have to sink or swim by yourselves because my attention is going to be divided. And the community said, of course, we've got this because our community is mature and understands that the health of a spiritual community doesn't come from the minister. It comes from the people, the people who show up, and that's you. I mean, You've been showing up for a very long time. And even while we were in pandemic times, we just stayed together, making it possible for me to serve the movement. So I want to say to you, on behalf of the entire movement, thank you for sharing our center's resources. I appreciate you. Thank you. And next time you see me, I'll just be regular old Edward. (laughs) This month, our theme is curiosity as a superpower. And I want to say thank you to Reverend Tyra, who did the prayer for that beautiful message last week about the flow. Loved it. If you haven't seen it, you can see it online. Really magnificent. And today's topic is the world is an oyster. Now, if you've ever tried to force an oyster open to get the pearl that is hopefully inside, then you already understand what this topic is about. So let's talk about control, shall we? (laughs) Have you ever tried to force something to happen? Hmm. You know, make it happen. Especially when that something doesn't want to happen. And it feels like you're going in the opposite direction of the flow, the flow of things. And it turns out things just won't have it. (laughs) I didn't close the door to my dishwasher the other day. I do this frequently. And all of a sudden, the water started to leak out. And in a moment of panic, I tried to control the water, you know, with my bare feet. And then my hands, I don't know what goes through my head, but what I do notice is that the water wouldn't have it. It wouldn't conform to my will. It just flowed around me gently to where it was going. It was quite clearly and calmly going to wherever it was going, and there was nothing that could be done about it. (laughs) Makes me think of the phrase, what will be, will be. Try as I might to stop it. And what will not be, will not be. Try as I might to make it happen. Maharishi said it in the other way. He said, whatever is destined not to happen will not happen. Try as you may. Whatever is destined to happen will happen. Do what you may to prevent it. This is certain. The room went very quiet. (laughs) Well, maybe you're thinking like I am. Have you ever tried to make somebody love you? It can't be done. 
I remember once I lived with a cat. You may, I have talked about him a long time ago. His name was Fred. And I wanted him to love me so much. But he barely tolerated me. I mean, you might say we had irreconcilable differences. And there was nothing that could be done about it. And as soon as I stopped trying so hard, he started to tolerate me. It would get a little closer, but only on his terms. So we kind of settled on a mutual distance respect with very strict boundaries. Now, I don't think this is the way of intimate relationships, you know, because relationships require communication and negotiation and mutuality and agreements, etc. Still, I, I did learn something about backing off from control so that I could be more curious about how things are and how things want to be. Now, it turns out in nature that Things are the way that they are. They are committed to being what they are. You know what I mean? They just are. And I'm trying to learn more from nature because I notice sometimes I'm committed to becoming. I'm not so much focused on actually being. Now, I wonder to myself sometimes, could I back off a little and give up trying to make situations and people and things be what I want them to be? And if I did that, I wonder, perhaps things and people could then actually be a little bit more of what they are. Now, our science of mind teaching uses nature as an example and points out that nature doesn't hold itself back for anything not even for anyone. Nature doesn't hold itself back based on how good a person is or how not good a person is or what they did or what their title is. The rain falls on the good and the bad and the curious. That's the way of things. And our teaching, Science of Mind, suggests that when you and I copy this, we duplicate this quality in us, that's how we get into sync with the flow of things. And that's when we may feel we are flowing in the right direction. Ah, Have you ever been out of the flow of the right direction? Whatever that is, you know what I mean? I remember once I went to a, a weekend science of mind workshop and I had to go because it was part of the center and I didn't want to go. And so I was going against the flow and I arrived at the workshop and I had all the business of the world on my shoulders and in my mind and I didn't want to be there. So I acted all polite and said my hellos well enough, you know, professional warmth. <laughs> but it turned out the retreat was in this beautiful valley and it was really difficult to resist its influence and nature made its way into me little bit by little bit. It was working its way into me. And I could feel my attitude lightening up and shifting a little bit. And then we were sitting in the evening around the campfire, all of us. And the facilitator paused for a moment and said to us, everybody, look up. And, and we, we did. We looked up and bam, there was this canopy of stars as if it was 
pouring down its wisdom into us. Nothing else was needed just to look up and something changed in me as if I I could feel this download of wisdom and I realized, wait, that sky has been there all along. I just, I hadn't been available to it. I hadn't noticed its deep, powerful message of peace and it was going to be what it was whether I looked at it or not, whether I was distracted or not, whether I was grumpy or not. And something shifted in me. And that night, I slept so deeply until the next morning (laughs) when I woke up with all my troubles right there again. Because I remembered I had something very urgent to attend to. I had an urgent matter to attend to. And I was frustrated because there was no cell signal in the valley. So I took myself on a hike up the hill because I was told that if I got high enough on the crest of the hill that I could find a little sliver of cell power. And so up I went, focusing intensely on the cell phone as I went up, looking for the little signal to appear. And I got way, way up there. And then I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. There was a deer standing there, watching me, chewing. Not in that startled deer kind of way, but no, in a questioning sort of, what is that human doing <laughs> way? <laughs> and we looked at each other for what seemed like an age. And my, my grip on the phone relaxed. And then I, I noticed that everything around me was committed to being itself. Just as it is. And just as it is not. There was no urgency at all. As if everything was part of this major stage production and it was completely unaware and disinterested in my frustration at not getting a signal. It didn't even matter if I huffed and I puffed and complained and fretted. And so in that moment, as I relaxed, I learned a lesson from nature It's so easy, I remembered, for me to fall into struggle and to force life to happen the way I want it. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with walking up a a mountain to find a signal. I just noticed that there are many different ways of walking up a mountain. One style, for example, is to be filled with anger or frantic energy and stomp your way up the mountain. Another way, for example, is um, to flow like water and go where the path leads. Observe, having no opinion, I suppose. There are all kinds of ways of walking up a mountain, and each one of them is valid, and each has its effect. Nature is varied, too. Sometimes nature is slow and steady and quiet. And sometimes it's wild and fast and busy. But whatever it is, it's committed, definite. It is what it is. So I'm asking myself, can I be more aware of who and what and how I am? So I made my way back down the hill and went back to civilization eventually and 
<laughs> remember how quickly I forgot all those moments of peace and insight and all the lessons of nature just evaporated because I was back in the pace, you know, of getting things done, jumping right back into things. And it didn't take long before I wasn't flowing like water anymore. Very soon after I returned, I had to go to a clergy meeting you know, like ongoing education. And I got there and the facilitator brought out mandalas, coloring in mandalas, coloring books and paints and pens and crayons and said, your task this hour is to enjoy. And my response was, you've got to be kidding. Do you have any idea what is on my schedule? There is a river somewhere that I need to push upstream. (laughs) And then in a moment of surrender, I remembered the campfire and the sky and nature and the dream, the deer. And I stopped for a moment and I looked up as if I was looking up at that sky, even though I was indoors and I imagined I was seeing it again. I imagined that the vastness of the sky was still where it was as it is. And the memory of it helped me to let go of the tight hold again, to breathe. And I got into coloring. (laughs) Have you ever sat down and colored in a mandala? Or picked up one of those drawings we have in the social hall for our children because adults with childlike hearts can do that too? Or you can go and get your own adult-style coloring book and for an hour, without interruption... Color. Why not? After all, there is a rock and a tree and a deer somewhere that is completely oblivious of how important your urgent plan is. I remember when I was training for the 545-mile bike ride from San Francisco to Los Angeles, the AIDS life cycle ride to raise funds and awareness for people living with HIV and AIDS. I wanted to do it because it felt like a really good contribution, but I had to fit the training into my very busy and very important schedule. (laughs) Because, you know, you can't just show up that the day before and ride. You gotta, you gotta be prepared. So every week, twice a week, three times a week, you gotta ride long rides. So one day I was cycling all by myself from Highway 12 all the way to Glen Ellen. I had to get it done. Gotta get back in meetings to attend. And then all of a sudden the sky just opened up and emptied all of its water, all right on top of me. It didn't care that I was in a hurry. And the rain was so intense that I couldn't cycle. I had to stop. I couldn't go on. So I stopped under the best tree I could find. And I was huffing and puffing and talking to myself and being frustrated. And again, I remembered. And I took a breath. And I became present for what was happening. And I'm glad I did. Because... Watching the rain was spectacularly moving. It was like a symphony. And I I could have missed the whole thing. 
And because nature didn't care about my schedule, I got some options. I could be happy or sad or angry or frustrated or present. The choice was mine, but I was going to have to be there. I wasn't going anywhere. See, that's how the world becomes an oyster with a potential delight hidden inside. Not by force, but through awareness of what is already present and happening. Now, the expression, the world is an oyster, suggests that life is filled with these opportunities. And it is a phrase from Shakespeare. It refers to the pearl that is potentially hidden at the center of an oyster. And it comes from the play, The Merry Wives of Windsor. And in it, the character John Falstaff is not getting what he wants. Things are not turning out the way he wants. And he says, why then the world is my oyster, which I will open with my sword. Meaning, he was going to take what he wants from life, even if it's not given and by force. And that, my friends, is the exact opposite of the approach I'm talking about today and this month. Not by force, but by curiosity and by awareness. Today and this month is about being curious, about being open to the other right way of doing things, about going with the flow, about looking beneath the surface, about trying on new and different ways to see and to hear and to feel and to understand. I love how in the Tao Te Ching, it encourages curiosity and newness through the practice of allowing, which is going with the flow. In chapter 36, in this rendition, it says, if you want to shrink something, you must first allow it to expand. If you want to get rid of something, you must first allow it to flourish. If you want to take something, you must first allow it to be given. This is called the subtle perception of the way things are. The soft overcomes the hard. The slow overcomes the fast. <laughs> I was on a weekend getaway with my partner recently. And we were out and about sitting somewhere and uh, he said to me, Edward, um, have you noticed that you're always scanning your surroundings and the people and things going on? <laughs> so he was politely saying, you're not present. Ugh. It was a campfire sky moment, Right. And, and instead of becoming defensive and explaining why it was so important for me to be the way that I am, I, I thanked him 
And right in that moment, I made a commitment with myself right there and then to start practicing being a little more present for what is already trying to happen. Because you see, in that moment, connection was trying to happen. There was something lovely present, just like the stars in the sky. And I nearly missed it. So this year, I'm adding to my resolutions, because, you know, those can be made all through the year, to resolve to try to be a little more present, to be more of a witness to what is happening around me and in me, and I'm going to do my best to try and disconnect from the urge to control things, even the difficult and urgent things which reminds me about that urgent march up the hill to find a cell signal. You see, the reason why I was trying so hard to get up the mountainside to get a signal was I wanted to see if my mother had called because my father had been very ill with a heart-related incident and we didn't know if he was going to make it. And what I learned on the hill that day was I was going to have to go up it one way or the other. So why not be more selective in the way of going up? What will be, will be. Try as I may to stop it. And what will not be, will not be. Try as hard as I may to make it happen. So why not experiment with being present for what is trying to happen while at the same time attending to what must be done. So it's not a question of abandoning responsibilities. It's about landing inside ourselves in the moment. So I, I leave you with this wisdom that somebody gave to me that they got from their father. Do what you're doing while you're doing it. And don't do what you're not doing while you're not doing it. <laughs> because very likely, something deeply significant, spectacularly magnificent, heartwarmingly real, is present for you, whatever it is you think you're attending to. What a thought. Right now, in this very room, in this moment, life is present, spectacularly so, available. And to sync with that is the purpose of spiritual living. I invite you to breathe in with me. And as we exhale together in a moment of releasing, relaxing, yielding into that which is without effort, without control, without making anything up, without computing, calculating, only being aware. Aware of that which is. And whether I call it life or mind or creation or spirit, 
I understand it is always great, greater than the words I choose to describe it. So in my recognition of what is, I understand at the same time that I am, along with everybody here, constantly expanding and growing in my understanding of the infinite and that the journey is infinite. Without force or trying, I let myself become aware of all of the ways in which I am part of all of the ways on all of the points of awareness and consciousness and all of the happenings and the isness. Without force or effort, I realize that this moment is full. And I have the sensation of being filled up even though I'm aware that I'm already full. I realize that my mind has always had available to it the vastness of the sky and that my heart has always had available to it the fullness of complete love. And so I give thanks for that. I feel the warm celebration of knowing the truth of my being. And I release this word into the law by saying, and I invite you to say with me, and so it is. <laughs>